Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Brownskin Speaks Radio. I am your host for this evening, Wednesday, August 4th, and I go by the name Brownskin. Tonight's episode is called Back to Basics 101, Have You Loved Yourself Lately? A topic that hits close to home is one of self-love, knowing how to treat yourself, which invites others to treat you the same way. In a society where media perpetuates self-loathing, patriarchy, and negative stereotypes, for, especially for women of color, uh, one begins to wonder uh, how to define their, their foundation. Well, tonight's guests are two women who have inspired me directly and indirectly through their work, be it social equality for women, empowerment of women, or casual conversation. I would first like to introduce freelance writer Joe Nubian. She currently writes for various journals, magazines, and publications, including her personal site, JoeNubian.com. As described, she is a fire starter and peacemaker, a womanist who enjoys having her door opened and chair pulled, as well as a phenomenal writer offering her unwavering voice on issues regarding race and gender. I welcome Joe Nubian. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm humbled. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I'm very excited about being on the show. This is something that, you know, I enjoy talking about. So, you know, I'm ready to dig in. (laughs) Yes. Now, um, Valisha's our second guest, so she'll be joining us in a few minutes, and I'll introduce her. But um, getting right into it, um, you grew up in the South, uh, I believe, Louisiana, right? Well, my family is originally from Louisiana, so okay. kind of in between Louisiana and Texas, yes. Okay. So what was your experience like in womanhood growing up? Did you have both parents in the home? Um, I actually did grow up with um, both of my parents yeah. and um, just really came from a very large family, like um, my my mother actually comes from, you know, a family of like 11 children. So um, family was always something that was very, very important in our home, and I kind of grew up with that kind of close-knit, the ideas of of sticking together and bonding together and uplifting and raising one another. So, yeah, big family, big family person still today. Yeah, so with with that being said, since you have both family and you all, you know, um, then your your foundation – started off strong when you were younger than if you if if you were learning that from your parents and, and knowing that you had to stick together, how did that shape your views of yourself and then how did your and, and other women that, that treated themselves that you viewed. So if you know, you learned this from from your parents, but how did that shape your view as well as others that you that you observed and noticed? Um, well, you know, I I grew up in it with a lot of mothers, actually, yeah. you know. I grew up, you know, with with my mother, of course. My mother was a working mom. So I had um, an auntie who took care of me in Houston, you know, while my mother was working, who was kind of a, um, a stay-at-home mom, you know, with her son. So I was partially raised by her, my mother's best friend, who is where I got, you know, a little bit of my sass and fashion <laughs> sense. You know, my other um, mother or my aunt um, actually kind of gave me, like, that real um, sweet foundation of, you know, she was a great caregiver and a cooker and took care of her family, you know. And then I have um, a godmother in Louisiana that I would travel to who was, you know, a farmer, 
who, you know, raised um, crops and farm animals and everything. So I kind of got that, like, you know, southern or southwestern or, you know, woman out on the range type. (laughs) (laughs) So I had, you know, a variety of very strong women. My mother um, was very um, independent. Like I said, she was was a, a, a working mom. Um, very independent, very strong-willed. She grew up with eight brothers. She grew up with eight brothers. So that in itself, you know, kind of describes who she is, very tough. So I had like a full spectrum of women um, that I was able to. So I, I learned a little bit from each of them, and each of them really kind of lives in me and and um, lives in, me and my work. So, um yeah, I think that if anything is the foundation of, of my self-esteem and um, the woman that I am today and the woman that I'm continually becoming as I grow, it is, you know, that collection of women, you know, being there, in my life. So, Was there any or just several factors that they instilled in you that, 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 that you carried on with you as you evolved um, you know, in your in your womanhood and and, and today, uh, if you could remember, you know, if if you know how your parents just just stamped this into you, you know, if you any if you know if you don't listen to me now, this is one thing that I want you to remember when you get older. And you know, were there any things like that 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 um, all these these women that helped you know raise you um, instilling you? Oh, of course, of course. I had, um, you know, my mother was was very, very big on education. One of my fondest memories of my mother and something that I actually observed her doing with with my daughter the other day when I I came, you know, my daughter was with her, and I came into the house and saw her sitting at this little table with my daughter doing these worksheets, and she had her glasses on, and my mom has this very stern librarian kind of, um, librarian teacher look when she is instructing. And I can remember yeah. as a child, you know, my mother was, um, you know, my mom is, uh, I guess what you would call, you know, blue collar. She um, has worked in a bakery for oh, as long as I've been um, alive. And yeah. um, and she would kind of take the boxes, the cake boxes from work, and cut them into um, flashcards. Because, you know, when I was growing up, like, I'm 33, so that's, I was born in, like, 76, so, and I'm not, a, you know, ashamed of telling my age at all, but, <laughs> but I was born, you know, so back then, like, the idea of, like, flashcards and worksheets and those types of things, like, you could you didn't have access to those. It was really only teachers who had those types of materials, so she would really, like, make her own, and I can remember her coming home you know, after a hard day's work or whatever and laying in the bed and she would have these flashcards and we would go through spelling and grammar and, you know, mathematics. And she would make these cards out because, you know, and I, she was very, very serious about I want you to be, you know, educated. She got feedback from my teachers probably at an early age that I was, you know, gifted, which, you know, has been a blessing and, you know, she always made sure that I was in some type of academic summer camp, some type of college preparatory program. So, you know, the big thing, and I, I think because my parents were sharecroppers, yeah. like, you know, in, in the South. And so for them, in order to, you know, uh, 
redeem your dreams, actualize your dreams, it, it starts with that foundation of education. And that's something that no one can take away from you. So that was like a big thing with my mother. I want you to be able to support yourself, and I want you to be able to make decisions for yourself, and I want you to be able to think for yourself, and this is the avenue to do it. You know, and she also, you know, raised me to be a very critical thinker. She yeah. never, you know, I didn't grow up in one of those homes where it was like children are to, you know, to be seen and not heard. We were always able to you know, voice our opinions and and speak out. You know, I would um, constantly kind of get in trouble in school because of my mouth, and my mother never, you know, would try and uh, move me away from that. She was, she would always be like, okay, well, what's the situation? Let's talk about this. She would never yeah. just take an administrator's side or what have you. She's like, my daughter has a voice, and I want her to use it. So yeah. education was a very, a very big thing, and also like the use of your voice to to speak into existence the things that you want and to stand up for yourself. So I would say that those two things were, like, the greatest gifts that she gave me. Yeah. How would you say, well, how do you describe, I guess, how did your relationship translate to raising your daughter, and and do you believe that parents are solely responsible for their children's emotional development? Well, I think I I really believe in, you know, the idea, and I know this, it's, almost sounds cliche, but it really takes a village. You know, it takes a, a combination of um, parents and grandparents and aunt and uncles and play aunt and uncles and friends and teachers and everyone kind of having a hand in raising children. That's the way that, that I grew up, and that is the same foundation that I provide for my daughter. And so I, I um, subconsciously, I guess, teach her the same things. I'm very, very much like... You know, my daughter probably has more books than me, and I have a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> so I started reading to her when I was in the in the womb, you know, and um, I started buying. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I actually started buying books for her. And so I've built this, you know, collection. So, of course, that has, you know, translated down, you know, this, this idea of being literate, being educated, um, and being, you know, articulate, her one of her teachers was telling me the other day how articulate she is, and she's like, sometimes I have to remember that I'm talking to a four-year-old. My daughter is four. Right. And, you know, I'm like, yes, I actually have conversations with her. We, we speak, I talk to, you know, to her, I don't talk at her. Right. And, right, right. you know, what I'm trying to instill in her and what I'm trying to lay as a foundation for her is, you know, you have a voice and I want you to use it, and I want you to be able to communicate whatever it is that you need to communicate, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's your feelings, and all of those things are okay. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, you know, they're yours. Those thoughts and feelings are yours, and you can translate them and you can communicate them without fear. So that is something that I really, really try to instill in her. One of my favorite um, Audrey Lord quotes is um, she says that you know your silence will not protect you. That's true. Yeah. And so that is something that I really, really um, it, it's such a big part of the work that I do in addressing you know gender issues, um, misogyny, patriarchy, these types of things. And I, I'm starting out now when she's four. Like use your voice because being quiet is not going to save you, it's not going to protect you, 
you know, what is going to happen is going to happen regardless, so you might as well act and you might as well speak. So. Yep, I agree with that. Well, before we go on to the next question, I believe Alicia just joined us, um, co-founder and chair of Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network, also known as WEEN. Um, is a coalition of women, all ages and races, committed to supporting, promoting, and defending the balanced, positive portrayal of women in entertainment and society. From being uh, past director of the Hip Hop Summit Action Network to now holding position of deputy director of public affairs for President Obama, Felicia Butterfield continues to be an example for women to follow. Felicia, are you there? Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I just left the gym. I'm sitting in a rainy car, and I'm so happy to be on the line. Oh, thank you, Valicia, Jonubian, Jonubian, Valicia. Very nice to speak to you. Nice to meet you, finally. Um, well, if you're now tuning in, you're listening to the episode Back to Basics 101, Have You Loved Yourself Lately?, uh, my guests, Joe Nubi and Belisha, join me tonight as we explore, as we continue to explore building and preserving a positive self-love foundation and ways to counteract the negative stereotypes perpetuated in society. Feel free to call in with your questions and comments at 347-202-0591. Uh, now, this question is for both of you ladies, um, and this is referring to one of your pieces that I read to Joe Nubi about patriarchy um, damages men to no really. Um, but from your own experiences, um, ladies, how does one begin to build that foundation of self-love if all they see are men uh, dominating women through violence or psychological terrorism? You go ahead, sis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you go ahead. yeah I, I'll jump in and just say I think I think self-love starts within. Uh, if we uh, look out to images or, or validation from men or the images that we see, we'll certainly never have uh, the self-love that I think we all need. So I definitely think that it begins within. Um, we're certainly here for a purpose, and regardless of what religion you believe in or, or who you pray to, for me it's Jesus Christ. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to believe in something higher than yourself. And uh, self-love starts with just looking in the mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm here for a reason, I'm here for a purpose. So no matter what's going on on TV, on the radio, whatever it is uh, that yeah. you see that might um, kind of, you know, not support those feelings, I think, you know, they won't affect you if you have that inner love. Uh, but then I think also, you know, I want to be realistic too, you know, it, it's easy to get caught up with the images you see on the magazine covers or, or in the videos. But, um, you know, even when you feel that lack of self-confidence, I think, again, you have to also remind yourself, especially young girls, that those images that you see are not real. Right. So, you know, it's so often, it's so easy to get caught up in this image of perfection or this image of, you know, this, this hypersexual image, whatever it may be. But I think, you know, especially now that I've worked in the industry for so long, uh, it was just mind-boggling when I first entered at 18 to see, you know, the people that you saw on TV look absolutely nothing like that or you know, these things that those material things that so many people want and, and we've all been guilty of wanting, you know, nice material things and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you see that it's not real or it's an exaggeration, I think it's also kind of a reality check that, you know what, I'm good enough. No matter how much money I have, no matter, you know, what size I am, what color of my skin, you know, I'm good enough because I was made and created for a reason. So I think at the end of the day, if you think about those things, it kind of keeps you in check. 
I absolutely agree with with all of those things. And I can remember, um, and this is another thing that I'm watching my mother do with my daughter and remembering that she did with me from a very early age, you know, um, probably about three or four, you know, if she would dress me and comb my hair. And one of the things that she would do after, you know, she would get me dressed and comb my hair and, and get me all prettied up is she would always put me in front of a mirror. And, you know, tell me to look at myself and say, oh, you know, oh, look, you're so pretty. It wasn't a one-sided thing, though, with my mother. One of the things I can appreciate about her and what I also try to instill in my daughter is she was also very much about, like I said earlier, education. But at the same time, she was reinforcing in me, you know, you're a beautiful child. You know, you're brown skin, and, um, you know, I come from a family full of, you know, voluptuous women, plus-size women. I have never really had an issue with with body image. I mean, of course, um, you know, during your teenage years and your early adult years, you kind of struggle with that. But in comparison to some of the other women that I talk to and, um, you know, build with some of the things that they have gone through or, you know, continue to go, go through, I kind of bypass that. And I think it was really that foundation um, growing up understanding and hearing, you know, over and over, you're beautiful, God made you perfect the way that you are, you know, and you can appreciate that, and anybody that you deal with needs to appreciate that, you know. And and, um, like I said, it really comes from that foundation and having that belief on the inside so that no matter what transitions I went through on the outside, I've always felt like, you know, I tell people all the time if they compliment me on, you know, the way that I look or whatever, I'm like, you know, the most beautiful thing that I feel about me is, is my heart, you know. So it's like that that's what beauty radiates from within. And as long as you have that idea in your mind, it kind of allows you to um, go through life with that um, foundation and with that understanding and you can kind of fight against those other things. Now, um, as far as, like, media images and, you know, the supermodels and all of those types of things. I mean, and it's a very difficult thing, especially as, you know, black women, because we're, you know, we, we actually, for the most part, sit outside of whatever the standard of beauty is. And so, we, you know, it's important to create your own foundation of, of what beauty is. And I think that if we can do that with our daughters, if we can do that with young girls and raise them up in that idea, then, you know, they'll be unstoppable. Yeah. And, and going back to, to, to media, um, the, you, you all raised a, a great point. But the question I have, though, is, you know, I know for me, and, and I had this conversation with my sister um, as we were growing up, you know, our parents provided for us food, shelter, clothing, the, the basic necessities, but, you know, lacked in the emotional nurturing. So it's one of those things where some women find themselves on the journey of, of, of seeking it in different ways, which can be, you know, a little bit uh, detrimental depending on uh, which, you know, route they choose. Um, but for women that are, um, you know, identifying with some of the things that they see on TV and, and just media, period. You know, are we, can we blame media for portraying us this way, or is it time for more women to step up and say, hey, this is not me at all, um, and this is not a reflection of, of, of all women? 
I me. definitely think. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I definitely. I definitely think that, um, you know, that's the case. I was actually having a conversation with a friend last night about how a lot of times we just kind of fall into um, assigned roles. And, you know, the difference probably from when, you know, I was growing up um, during an age of, you know, the Cosby show or, uh, you know, in the 80s where there were, you know, still some positive images of of black women um, more than now, I would say, probably, you know, more positive images of black black women and black girls, you know, in the media, I kind of, you know, had an opportunity to see that. I look at my, you know, nieces who are 17, 18 and just starting college and, you know, they were born, you know, in the 90s and during the whole, you know, um, the, the issues with hip-hop and misogyny in hip-hop and the way that women are portrayed, especially black women, are portrayed. And, um, you know, it, it's a struggle. It's a fight. What? How do you combat that? How do you address that? We definitely do have to stand up um, as women. And um, as um, you were saying earlier, we have to address the fact that these images that you're seeing are, are someone's creation. You know, this does not yeah. define you, and this is not who you are, and this is something that we have to consistently and constantly tell, um, you know, our daughters and, and the young women around us um, and, and, and continue to preach it and teach it until, you know, it's finally instilled in them and they can move forward and say those things. And I think that um, one of the, the best things that we can do is, you know, of, of course, try and... Um, create or promote that foundation that, yes, you are beautiful exactly the way that God made you, and but also there is more to you that makes you beautiful than, you know, the way that you look on the outside. You know, let's, let's work on developing ourselves mentally. Let's work on developing ourselves emotionally so that we can be fully evolved and well-rounded human beings. And so I think when you um, add all of those aspects into, um, you know, creating this person or, or um, growing into this person, then, you know, those images don't really affect you because you don't necessarily see yourself in them. Like, you know, I can remember even being in my 20s and, and things, and, and I am like a B-girl. You know, I love hip-hop, and I can look at these videos and be like, yeah, I see the women in them, but I never really related to those women because I didn't, I didn't feel like they represented me. And so I think that that is the thing that we really have to work with, you know, with young girls. I think also looking at it from a business angle and a business approach, um, you know, let's be honest here, controversy sales, right? promiscuity sales and all those things that you see that we're talking about sell. And so, you know, the the entertainment industry that started as a creative art form a little over 30 years ago started based on the love of hip-hop. You know, speaking of hip-hop, not all entertainment, but the love of hip-hop, the love of music, just creativity, let's make good music. And now it's become a very viable business that's become very lucrative. So it's being driven by what people, unfortunately and very sadly, want to see. So I think we also have to cultivate a whole new generation of young women who have a desire to work in leadership roles in this business that are not only going to 
help combat some of those images and stereotypes, but also create positive programming to provide that balance. So I think, you know, it, it's educating our young girls now who are seeing the images, you know, everything that you just said, you know, making sure that they're able to see what's real, what's not, and, and still love themselves in spite of those things. But then also taking a business approach on the other side of things to help create positive images, help create positive programming, and taking a stand and saying, this is not right, this is not who we are, and we refuse to support these images, and we refuse to sit back and not create images that do reflect us. So I think, you know, it's that balancing act, too, of, you know, educating our young girls and then also, you know, participating in the solution on how we can fix this because I think, you know, you all are marketing people. You know how it goes. You know, the more repetition, the more images that young women see, no matter what we instill in them at home, it's going to start becoming their truth if they don't have that solid foundation at the end, if they don't have women behind the scenes who are willing to defend them and help combat some of those stereotypes and some of that programming. With the outside of entertainment, then that has me thinking about with, you know, there's a lot of society-imposed limitations um, what about women that work in, in industries that some other, most women would find degrading, such as porn? You know, uh, is it fair to to look at these women as, you know, ones that want to be porn stars, ones that, you know, are strippers? You know, do they love themselves any less than a woman who is a lawyer or an author or an educator? You know, how does someone define a woman loving herself if she chooses to do this, um, you know? I mean, for me, I, I always take the non-judgmental approach. So if, we, if a young woman decides to be in a video or even to work in the porn, and like whatever the industry is she chooses, that's her decision, you know, not for me to judge. But I think also, you know, we have to provide more options for young women. And, and you can't tell me that a woman with plenty of options and with enough information would still take that route. So I think, yeah. you know, some you know, sometimes it's issues of self esteem and wanting the attention and all those things. But then I think also sometimes especially for our minority women, it boils down to a lack of options and a lack of someone explaining to them and providing with them with the tools to to have other choices and to make other decisions. So I think, you know, you know, I would never judge but I, I certainly would want to at least engage them to at least give them more options so hopefully they can make you know, uh, an informed decision moving forward. Right. And, and, and the reason what that what had me thinking about that industry was, um, of course, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's daughter, who um, is only, I think, what, 19, um, wanting to go into that, that route. And, and just how you said options really, you know, one would think that she's the daughter of a well-known actor. You know, where did it begin? Did something go wrong um, for her to still choose this industry and be, and be very proud of it, you know? Uh, did you ladies have a reaction to that um, when when you found out about you know a nineteen year old wanting to go into the porn industry? I mean, well, I'll admit, yeah, I'll admit that when I first you know heard about it, I was wondering what her relationship was, you know, right. with her father and how he felt about that. You know, that was that's a, a normal reaction. I think a lot of people that I was interacting with had, but then at the same time. Um, as uh, Alicia said, it it becomes um, a question of, of of judgment and not placing judgment, and um, it's kind of a slippery slope there because you know at the age of nineteen, like I I can remember, you know being nineteen and knowing that 
what I know now at 33, I wasn't making, you know, solid choices and good choices that I can, you know, probably look back right. on at 33 and say, okay, this was, you know, a good choice. Although, you know, whatever I was doing at that time, it wasn't something that was, you know, going to be recorded and promoted and sold, you know, something that I wouldn't be able to bounce back from. And so I think that um, role assignment kind of goes into a lot of that. And um, a a big question that a lot of people raised about that and, and something that we don't address is, you know, we, I think a lot of people immediately went to, you know, this woman, why are you making this choice? Why is she doing this? Why is she doing that? But let's talk about this industry. Let's talk about who supports this industry, who is, you know, um, you know, putting the money behind this, who is, you know, what role does uh, misogyny and patriarchy play in this? Like, let's not just make this about this woman because um, this is an industry, this is a business. You know, let's discuss that holistically first and yeah. then, you know, to, to, um, discuss, like, her her personal choice because, you know, as Alicia said, this is her personal choice and I don't – I can't judge her for making this decision that she made and I'm not going to immediately um, go to berate her and, and, and badger her about that. But let's talk about why a someone at this age who we know isn't, you know, capable of making – that type of life decision, like this is something that I'm going to be doing on film that could could possibly outlive me, you know what I mean, that my children could look at one day or so forth and so on, and, and not judgment in that, but just do you have all of the tools at 19 years old to make that decision? I don't know that you do. And so I think it's important to discuss the, the business aspect of that, um, and the industry aspect of that before we condemn her. So that was my response. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, the fact that it was his daughter was less of an issue for me, like you said, and it was more about the issue that there are so many girls, thousands of girls who, who are making those decisions each day just like her. And, and and because it was his daughter, I think it just elevated the issue and made it top of mind this week. But I think, you know, the point you raised was was so spot on, and whenever I mentor and talk to little young girls, I, I tell them it's a it's a different era, and I think we're around the same age. I'm 32, and it's a totally different era than it was for us at that age. Now with the internet age, you know the things you do haunt you or help you for the rest of your life, and and when a 19 year old girl who makes that decision is no longer here on this earth, her great great grandkids can still have access to that information. So I think it's even more important now than ever before for young girls to really take seriously these sometimes impulsive, sometimes, you know, um, you know, decisions that that could really damage them for the rest of their lives. I, and, and I, too, you know, think about, you know, where I am in my career and, and, and can only imagine had I not made some of the, the some of the positive decisions I made when I was much younger, that I wouldn't be here. So I think, you know, it, it, it's so important when you're young, it's so hard to really comprehend how much of an impact those decisions can make on the rest of your life, but it's real, and I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we educate young girls and tell them about it so they know what they're getting themselves into when they make some of those decisions. Yeah, you both raised great points. I think we have a caller. She has a question, I believe. 
Um, please uh, say your name and where you're from. Hi, I'm Jarita, and I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, Jarita, how are uh, you? I am good. I'm, I'm glad to be tuning in. Um, I find this, inter- this topic to, to kind of hit close to home, and I just had a question for you ladies. Um, this question is, is more looking at a father's role, and I just wanted to know what role do fathers play in the emotional development of a woman or a girl in terms of uh, providing self-love and helping to boost um, her self-esteem and I'm asking from the standpoint of um, there not being a male presence in my home growing up and how I, I felt I was kind of late in learning what it was uh, to receive the the real love of a man and what it meant to love a man. So I just kind of want to get your your ideas and comments on that. Um, I actually, I'm sorry. I grew up, um, you know, with both parents. I grew up with my father. I had an opportunity to do that. But I know that, you know, a lot of women did not, you know, some of my closest friend, actually my best friend, you know, did not have an opportunity to grow up with her father. And I think that um, as much as um, we can say that this is uh, an example um, that girls need, like girls need their fathers, well, of course they do. You know, children, boys and girls need both parents because there's a certain amount of balance that goes into, um, like you said, their emotional development and mental development, all of these things. Um, but if, in, in the circumstances that that isn't something that is available, I think it is um, the responsibility of, of the community and, um, you know, outreach programs, community programs, other men in the communities, whether they're uncles, whether they're family friends, who can kind of um, provide that, that type of, of, of father figure, you know what I mean, where – a, a woman can learn those ideas of, of respect and um, balance and um, equality and um, those types of things. So, And we also have to look at the fact that um, just because a father is in the home doesn't mean that he's necessarily, you know, a positive influence or a mother for that matter. So I, I think it goes back to what I was saying kind of at the beginning of the, the show. It really kind of takes a village and we have to be able to um, acknowledge and to be able to see different um, different interactions between the sexes, and and hope that um, um, they they are positive. Hope that they um, promote balance and equality. That is a really really big thing. You know, my daughter. Um, with my daughter, like her father and I aren't together, but he's still very, very much a big part of her life. And she has uncles and she has cousins. And I um, always ensure that, you know, she sees me interact with men, whether it's family, whether it's, you know, whoever it is, in, in, in positive respect and positive aspects. And um, I think that's the best that we, that we can do. I mean, if, if a man is not available to be in the home, if the father isn't in the home, um, I still think that, uh, you know, that role model kind of needs to be there because I do think that um, without those proper roles that, you know, young girls kind of suffer a bit. So that's my perspective on that. 
Felicia, how was it with, with you? Um, how, how important is that for you, or how important was that for you? Are you talking to me? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, I, well, how important was that for you to have a male um, role model, a positive male role model in, in, in your in your life? I'll tell you this, and, and I'll be very honest here. I I grew up in the fam in the home with my mother and father. They were married for 20 years and then divorced when I was in the eighth grade. And although I grew up in that early stage with my dad, and and we continued even when they divorced to be very close, it makes a difference in a child's life. And growing up, there were four girlfriends, four of us that were kind of a crew, still best friends to this day. And of the four, my parents were the only to divorce. So I can tell you firsthand that even Growing up in a broken family who, you know, eventually divorced, it has an impact on a child. So imagine growing up in a home, and I'm not sure if, you know, your father wasn't around at all, but growing up in a home where you're with a single mother without a, a fatherly presence is very difficult, difficult for young women to grasp what it is to be loved by a man unconditionally, to be treated with respect, and to ha- kind of have standards on how you should be treated as, as a woman first. And then also to see the example of a loving relationship between a mother and a father in the home as an example for you as an adult. So I think my advice always and my recommendation always is if you grew up in a home without a father at all, with no you know positive male role model or example or fatherly figure, I would recommend not even dating yet until – you you find that person that you can trust, that you can start, you know, developing that relationship with. It's kind of like a an example for you. Or even, you know, if you're an adult, get to know couples that have that kind of healthy environment, that healthy home. So at least you can see an example of what it is to be in a healthy relationship with a man. So I think it's very difficult to just learn that without seeing it and without seeing a strong example of it. So just practical advice is, you know, if you didn't have it and if you've never had it, I would really recommend, you know, meeting people, becoming friends with people that have that kind of healthy environment. So at least you can, you know, be in that that environment to see what it's supposed to feel like because I think so often as young women we get caught in abusive relationships, we get caught in unhealthy relationships because we didn't have that example. So. You know, I would just always set a high standard for yourself, even if you didn't have that in the home. Thank you. Thank you, Julie, for your question. <laughs> um, okay, ladies, well, well, to wrap it up, where do you see, and I guess summarizing everything, all your comments from earlier this evening, where do we go from here to preserve this foundation so it can be passed down to future generations? Where do we go from here? I think, you know, having conversations like this, um, it's a good first step. I think, you know, conversation, dialogue, open communication is is great. Um, But we also have to really take a stand and not accept anything less than what we deserve. And that happens not only collectively as a unit, as a group of women, but I think it also happens individually. You know, we have a voice whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in, um, you know, a a store and we want to make a decision on whether we want to purchase or support uh, a product. You know, we have a a voice, even if it's a small voice, and and we can make a difference by just using it. So I think, you know, having a voice and taking a stand is the next step. I think also um, partnering together. I think, you know, um, it's 
you know, it's so important for us to collectively work together, uh, partner our efforts, create an agenda, and really stand behind it and do the work uh, so we can make ultimately an impact that will make a difference. Um, and, And the final thing for me, not to dominate, but is, you know, really instilling in our young girls that self-esteem, uh, that self-love that that only we can as, as women. And I think it's so important, even if you don't have your children of your own, to, to kind of take the village approach, like you said earlier, and, and really get in our schools, talk to young girls, get in the church, you know, and really educate young women who didn't have um, or, or who, you know, similar to what we may not have had, just, just extend that hand back so they can sort of learn from our mistakes and ultimately become better people for it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Joe, what about you? I absolutely agree. Um, And that is, you know, I I try to promote these things through, you know, dialogue like this and also through my writing. But what, what is really paramount for me and big, big, big for me is mentorship. You know, yeah. mentor, mentor, mentor. Like I, I, you know, I'm constantly. My mother's like, oh, you know, you always, uh, you're everyone's big sister. You know, which is what I love to do: reaching out to young women, whether they're family, whether they're friends of family. Um, I actually um, am working on my uh, master's at an HBCU, and so a lot of the students there, I've kind of taken under my wing and just you know, to, to have this type of dialogue in, in a very open way, in a way that, you know, with no judgment, um, where um, these young women feel comfortable coming and saying, you know, whatever it is that's on their minds and hearts and uh, offering them constructive, positive um, examples and um, conversations about how to become whoever the best, of them will be, you know. I think that uh, mentorship is is definitely important. Community building, um, like we said, that village approach is extremely important. And you know, as Valicia said, it's um, you know, su- supporting one another and that small voice um, collectively can turn into a very powerful and huge voice. And remembering that, you know, like I said, that Audrey Lord quote all the time, and it's like one of my affirmations forever is, you know, your silence will not protect you. So, you know, speak up, um, um, support what supports you, you know, if that's something that we can instill in young girls and mentorship and all, you know, coming together to to really fight that good fight and, and fighting for equality so that we don't have to constantly combat these types of issues. I think that that is the key in going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. We, I think the number one thing, though, is, is supporting each other because it's so easy to see another woman down and um, judge her for not having the same um, values as, as, as you may have, um, but her upbringing may have been completely different. And um, so I definitely agree. Thank you so much, ladies, um, for joining me this evening. I do appreciate it. Um, no, you're welcome. We definitely, I know, I definitely want to do a part two, so because I, I, I really find this to be this open dialogue to be very important. So I hope you all can join me in the near future for a part two. Um, but yes, I, I thank the listeners for tuning in and and, and for Jarita for calling in. 
Um, you can find out more about Joe Nubian on her website, JoeNubian.com, J-O-N-U-B-I-A-N, and Belisha at WeenOnline.org, W-E-E-N, online. Um, and Belisha, you all are hosting a uh, second annual award ceremony in New York. Thank you for the plug. September no 2nd, <laughs> September 2nd, New York City, we are honoring seven phenomenal women who empower women worldwide, Soledad O'Brien, Nia Long, Latoya Luckett, Angie Martinez, and many, many more. So it's going to be a very good event, New York, September 2nd. So go to the website uh, to get your ticket now. Yes, I can't wait. I'm excited. I do plan to be there. Follow these phenomenal women on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash Valisha, V-A-L-E-I-S-H-A, and twitter.com slash Joe Nubian. You can catch this episode and other archive shows podcasting on iTunes by searching Brown Skin in your iTunes store or my website, brownskin.com, spelled B-R-N-S-K-N. Thank you again, ladies. You all have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Okay. Until next time, Brown Skin speaks.